Gospels. All right, take your Bibles. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I am a a child of the 60s and 70s musically. I think that was the uh, greatest period of time in music. And uh, unfortunately, so much of my brain still thinks of endless lyrics. You know, it's a shame that I struggle, like many of you, in memorizing what's important, like Scripture, but yet I can remember lyrics from stuff that has no meaning or purpose, And uh, but I, I enjoy music. One of my favorite uh, groups, and I'm sure like you, that was probably one of the most, the greatest uh, bands that maybe has ever uh, existed was the Beatles. Yeah. Their catalog of music just is enormous, and their influence on music and uh, they really uh, were able, in fact, there's a new song that is out now where they were able to take, uh, of course, you know, John Lennon's been dead since uh, 80, and uh, so uh, they found a cassette where he was doing a demo on a piano, pecking away at a piano, a song, and the technology has only been in recent years that they were able to digitize that voice, take out that piano, add the voices of Paul McCartney and Ringo, and they tried to do it several years ago when George Harrison was alive, so they had a little bit of his voice, and they were actually able to produce a song as if all four of them were in the studios, and uh, you can listen to that now and then. It's a great song. But one of their uh, songs that was very famous, I think it came out in 66, was Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby, and some of you are hearing the tune right now in your head. But let me read you some of the lyrics. And Eleanor Rigby was probably, uh, like a lot of music, was one of the more depressing songs of the sadness. But oftentimes what musicians are able to tap into is a certain emotion in people that that's what music and art does. And I think uh, they tapped into some, some, uh, uh, some emotions here that I think many of us unfortunately can all too relate with. Let me just read you a few of the lyrics. Eleanor Rigby, Picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Lives in a dream. Waits at the window. Wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Father McKenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. I especially like that lyric. Father McKenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? They hit on something about human loneliness, don't they? Loneliness. And I think as believers, we all face at times the reality of loneliness. One of the things that I appreciate about Scripture is how realistic Scripture is. You know, Scripture is, is, is deep and is uh, the, the deepest of oceans. But yet, at the same time, it's enough to where a child can swim in the shallowness of its waters. And so, the Word of God always speaks to human experience and human need. And the Bible speaks concerning human loneliness. And this morning, I want us to look at a very practical message. And I thought during this time... As we come off of Thanksgiving, before Christmas, I think many, many people tap into the emotions 
of this, and I know I do. And this morning, I want us to look at the title of the message. It's called Letting Go of Loneliness from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 21. And you know what? I believe it's possible even today. You're in a crowd, and yet you feel lonely. You feel as though you're the only one here, that you feel that sense of loneliness. You can be wealthy and be lonely. We know stories of people that have everything in the world, and yet they're overwhelmed by loneliness and take their lives. Successful and lonely. Yes, you can be successful and be all alone. Beautiful and have all the adulation of of beauty and attractiveness and be alone. Popularity. We know from people like, depending on your generation, the Kurt Cobains and others that you can have the enormous popularity and still be and feel as though you're the only one and no one cares. And that's why that song, Eleanor Rigby, really struck at the heart. Does anybody care? All the lonely people, where do they come from? Today, I want us to look at the Apostle Paul. I love the Apostle Paul. You know, and uh, sometimes we say Paul is the greatest Christian that ever lived. Well, Jesus wasn't a Christian. He was Christ, all right? Christians are those that came after the followers, and Paul was certainly one of the greatest followers of Jesus. And yet, Paul himself was not immune from severe isolation and loneliness and even a sense of despair. But we want to learn and seek Paul's counsel and And what did he do with that? And I think when we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we learn some things. Let me just give you a little heads up about 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the, or the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy is the last letter of the Apostle Paul that we have. Now, if there are others, the Holy Spirit didn't see fit to enable us to know those or include those into the New Testament and so the letter that Paul wrote that's identified as 2 Timothy because he's writing his son in the faith, Timothy, is at a time when Paul is at the end of his life. He is in prison. He's awaiting a trial in which uh, church historians uh, give us insight that Paul was executed. He knows the end is coming near. He knows his time is is coming to a close. This is uh, an older man, uh, 30 years or so in ministry, and he is in this place where he senses the pressure of outside forces that he has no control over. He's at the end of his life. And what's interesting in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is how honest and perceptive and realistic the Apostle Paul is. That we have the benefit of reading and gaining insight in this place where Paul himself is struggling with a sense of loneliness as he writes these words in 2 Timothy, and particularly in 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. And so as we open this passage, you have a listener's guide that was included in your bulletin. I trust that you'll make use of that. I think you'll get more out of the the message this morning as you follow along, but there's two sections that we want to unpack, and that's relating to the reasons, what are some of the common reasons why we experience a sense of loneliness, and what are some ways that we can reverse that? What are some ways that Paul helps us in reversing that? So number one, notice with me the reasons for our loneliness, some reasons that are all, I think, pulled here 
in this passage several factors that I think we can identify with uh, in the Apostle Paul's life. And the first is, one of the reasons I think that uh, affects this is, is transition, is transition. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses th- 6 through 7, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Life is full of changes. Just think about in your life how many changes that have happened in your life. Sometimes Sherry and I'll be talking and we'll recount something, whatever, and I thought, and I'll be thinking, or both of us will say, boy, it feels like I've lived two or three different lives and different experiences, you know, and growing up and teenager and college or getting married and having children and all those phases and transitions we go through, life is full of changes. And sometimes those changes aren't necessarily changes that we wish had happened. Sometimes those are changes that have been forced upon us. Paul is getting ready and anticipates and knows that he is in a transitory place at this place in his life, he realizes that he's about to die. He's facing the inevitable. He knows his time is short. He's waiting trial where he'd be before Emperor Nero, historians tell us. And Paul says, I'm going through the final transition of my life. I've already been poured out. My life has already been spent like a drink offering, alluding to the uh, Hebrew sacrifices of, a, of an offering that is poured out and exhausted. The time of my departure has come. I know I'm going to die. I know that this is it. This is, this is it for me. And what, what is he writing? He's, he's in prison and he's all alone. The Apostle Paul, the great Paul, is in prison all alone. Another cause that I think it can affect our sense of loneliness is separation. Separation causes loneliness. Paul said in verse 9, he says, writing to Timothy, Do your best to come to me soon. Your version may say, come to me quickly. He's anxious for Timothy to come. Verse 21, he says, do your best to come before winter. Come before the severity of coldness sets in. Trust me. Uh, that this prison cell dungeon that he was in was not three hots and a cot, okay? There was nothing good about this. This was cold, damp dungeon. There was not an interest in human rights in Paul's day. And Paul says, come, don't delay, come before winter. And Paul says, and we see a little bit here, in, uh, and he speaks about those who are not necessarily, and maybe they are in prison with him, or certainly there in Rome visiting with him. He says, uh, Eubulus uh, sends greetings to you, verse 21, as do Puddins and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers that are there uh, that are kind of uh, compatriots of him. I'm not sure if they are in jail with him, but nevertheless, they're companions. But Paul says in this separation that there are people that he misses, people that were a part of his life that are no longer a part of his life. In verse 10, he says, For Demas, who is in love with this present world, has deserted me 
and gone to Thessalonica. If you read a little bit about Demas, you'll find that he was one of Paul's companions. Cretans, who was a companion, has gone to Galatia. We get the letter of Galatians. Titus to Dalmatia. Uh, it's not on the screen, but verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. And that's Luke the physician. The Luke, that's, you know, the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Only Luke is with me. Verse 20, Erastus has remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. These are his traveling companions. These are people that strengthened and traveled with Paul. And Paul says, Come quickly. He said, I'm alone here. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm in this transitory position and place. This, I'm separated from the people that I love. And on top of that, thirdly, that contributes to a, this loneliness that we all experience is opposition. You had any opposition in your life or you kind of tiptoed through the tulips, right? Verse 14 and 15, he says, Alexander... The coppersmith did me great harm. He said, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Verse 15, he says, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. The word harm there means oppose. He resisted. He caused great hardship. Uh, here Paul is seeking to spread the gospel, and this Alexander, who says the coppersmith, probably a wealthy business person, was seeking to do great harm and affect the, uh, uh, the message that Paul was preaching. Paul sensed and had that opposition, and that opposition of, well, we don't know what it is, maybe it was slandering his character. We see that from other letters that are written where Paul is defending his, uh, in Galatians, for example, he's defending his apostolic credentials and always that he truly met Jesus and had a revelation of the message of grace on the road to Damascus. And so maybe they slandered and maybe they were talking about what Paul used to be. Remember Paul? Before he was Paul, he was named Saul. And we see him come on the scene at the end of Acts chapter 7. And uh, he was an opposer to the work of God. And he was seeking to uh, anybody that professed the name of Jesus to uh, kill them or throw them in jail. He had a terrible, terrible testimony, a terrible uh, reputation, rather. Great testimony because Jesus met him, the most unlikely person that anybody could imagine that would come to Christ. Listen, don't ever say somebody's too far gone before God can reach them. God loves those kinds of prayers that you pray. No, nobody's too far gone. In fact, it was so uh, in disbelief that Paul had been converted to Christ, that when he was brought in to some of those early disciples, they were fearful. They didn't want to hang with Paul because they thought it was some trap. They thought he was kind of doing a little undercover reconnaissance among these Christians. And it took him a while to warm up to this idea. But Paul was, was being opposed. And here he is, lonely, and people are slandering his name. And he can't get on Facebook to defend himself. No, he can't defend himself. He's got people that are, that are doing him great harm. And on top of that, he's feeling that he is alone. You remember the story of Elijah, that after that, that miraculous uh, event at uh, Mount Carmel, where the fire of God came down and 
There was that dramatic scene of judgment against the priests of Baal. Remember Elijah challenged the priests of Baal, the idol, the, uh, the pagan idolaters, and said, Whoever, whatever God answers by fire, and, uh, and Yahweh God uh, answered by fire, consumed the sacrifice, uh, a dramatic event. Well, if you read on the very next chapter, Elijah has a, has a wanted post. There's a wanted poster put out by uh, Jezebel, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. They're seeking to kill Elijah after this great dramatic uh, display of God's power. Elijah, if you read the chapter following that event in Mount, at Mount Carmel, Elijah is ready to give up and, and, and for God to take his life. He's in despair. You would think coming off of that great high of victory that he saw, but what happens oftentimes is that we, we cannot live always on those kind of experiences. We have to walk Sometimes in the valleys, if you realize that. It would be nice if everybody was, everything was just always a constant thrill ride in the Christian life. But that's not the case. The psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your presence is with me. Elijah was ready to give up and for God to take his life in despair and feeling. And in fact, he even experienced that sense of loneliness when he said and he prayed of prayers that we pray, Lord, I'm the only one that you got. He prayed that kind of prayer. And the Lord says, no, I got, I got a bunch of people you don't even know anything about hidden away. Sometimes we pray, God, how are you going to do this without me? God, I'm your only hope. No. Fourthly, Oftentimes, and I think maybe this is the most severe, is rejection. It causes a sense of loneliness, sense of betrayal, forsaken, abandoned. Alexander was an example of that. Verse 16, Paul says, At my first defense, meaning when I first went before the trial, he said, No one came to stand by me. Think about that. No one stood by me, but all abandoned me, all deserted me. The Apostle Paul, rejection is such a devastating way to hurt a person. If you've ever experienced some form of rejection, and I would suspect most of you have, where you feel betrayed, a trust has been taken Paul says, everybody's copped out. Everybody's left. There's no one here. Think about what could have gone through Paul's mind. What would go through our mind? You ever do, you ever do uh, uh, review the classics when you think about how you help somebody? Hello? Let me, let me talk to the cross here. <laughs> you help somebody. You, do, you sacrifice for him. And what do they do? They betray your trust. And boy, in those moments, what do you do? You like you just replay all the money you gave, all the times you got called in the middle of the night, all the help, all the stuff. You know what? Paul had the same human emotions, and he had to guard himself against that, that sense of betrayal. Maybe your loneliness now, today, here, this morning, is because 
you're coming off or still dealing. It could have been something recent. And you know what I found talking with folks? Sometimes it's things that happened 15, 20, 30 years ago. But it's just as real today as it was then. Rejection. You know, Jesus experienced rejection. Is that newsflash for you? There's nothing that he didn't walk through and experience. So the question is, what do we do with this sense when we're in this period of this valley of loneliness? I think Paul provides, again, some wise counsel as he gives us some counsel regarding reversing our loneliness. And so some, this is super practical, all right? Super practical. The best theology is practical. Super practical counsel of Paul. Secondly, reversing our loneliness. Let me point out four things here that Paul, I think, helps us with in our passage this morning. Reversing our loneliness. Number one, utilize your time. Utilize your time. 2 Timothy 4, 12-13. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus... When you come, and he's talking to Timothy, when you come, Timothy, bring the cloak, my coat, come before winter, bring my coat, that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. What's the difference between books and parchments? More than likely, the books are referring to scrolls that were probably the Old Testament scriptures, the scrolls. In other words, Bring my Bible, all right? bring, my, bring the Word of God. And the parchment uh, was, was a vellum, like a, a, a writing paper that was made or dried uh, from animal skin, very expensive. And so Paul was saying, look, there's some study I want to do, and I want to write some letters. Guess what? Aren't you glad in God's sovereignty that more than likely, when you think about the Apostle Paul, Paul, as scholarly and as intellectual and as knowledgeable as he was, we don't really find a lot of periods where Paul's locked up writing systematic theology books. You know what Paul's doing? He's out preaching. He's establishing churches. He's out doing the work that God has called him to do as an apostle. And so I've always wondered that maybe in God's providence, what looks to be like a bad thing, him in jail, but you know some of the most pointed, detailed, theologically rich letters that we have, guess where they were written from? While he was in jail. Maybe God had to harness him, because guess what? We have the benefit of Paul's suffering by what he wrote to those churches when he couldn't physically be there. Paul was not paralyzed. Paul says, I want to utilize my time. How do you utilize your time in those periods where you just feel this overwhelming sense of rejection and loneliness and despair? Are you making use of the time? Listen, when you go through those periods, you can do one or two things. You can choose to just soak and gloat and just have that pity party where you invite your three best friends me, myself, and I, they'll always show up. Even if there's not food, they'll show up. Or you can say, you know what? There's things I'm going to, I'm not going to let the enemy, I'm not going to let the enemy pin me down over this. 
I'm going to make use of this time. Instead of just watching endless loops of, what's that show? House flipping or whatever those things are. Zombie houses. I don't know. Those things. They're all the same. My wife loves those things. You know, you can get in a cycle, and this is not some judgmental thing. I'm, you, I'm making the point of, of misusing your time. But sometimes you can get where all you do all day long is sit and binge on Netflix and Prime, and you've watched every episode of Friends three times in the last six months. I mean, you just, whatever it is. Why? What are we doing? We're trying to distract ourselves. But what are we utilizing? I'm talking to believers. Are we utilizing and make good use of our time where we can invest it in something like, boy, I've never read the Bible through. Now that I'm retired, now that I have all this time, guess what? Now I got time to do some things. Now I got time to give of myself and and, and maybe help the church. And many of you do a great job at that. And we're grateful for that. But what is Paul saying? I'm going to utilize my time. I'm not going to just sit here and rot and die. Timothy, when you come, bring my coat. Probably left it and he didn't leave it because he was forgetful. Probably gave it to somebody who didn't have a coat. That's why he didn't have it. And he said, and bring the books, bring those scriptures and bring the parchments because I want to spend some time writing and I want to spend some time, even though I can't go out, that doesn't mean the Word of God can't go out and I can't make good use of my time. Do you hear what I'm saying? We waste a lot of time. I waste a lot of time find, trying to find something to watch on TV. I watch enough of 18 channels. Now don't act like you don't know you don't do that. You ever do that? You just feel like you want to sit and watch something good and you spend an hour. And if you're part of my generation, you're thinking, how is it that we have 970 channels and I can't find anything to watch? When I was a kid, we had three and one of those had snow. <laughs> PBS didn't count. <laughs> right? Make use of your time. Invest it in kingdom endeavors. No, no, notice secondly, Paul counsels us again of how to reverse this loneliness. Very practical. Minimize the hurt. Now, I'm not saying ignore the hurt. Uh, I'm not saying pretend it didn't happen. When I say minimize the hurt, uh, notice what Paul says. Let me read the scripture and I'll comment. Verse 16 from the New Living Translation. Paul says, the first time... I was brought before the judge. No one came with me. A little different reading. He said, everyone abandoned me. But notice what he says. May it not be counted against them. I think what we see here in Paul is he's not ignoring what was done to him, but he's minimizing it. Or maybe a better way to say it is he's playing it down. Certainly he forgave them. Certainly he forgave them. But what he's saying is, I'm not going to blame anybody. Hello? I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm not going to spend my time getting bitter. I'm not going to spend my time drinking the cup of bitterness. I'm not going to hold a grudge. 
I'm not going to spend all my time being resentful. He says, may it not be counted against them. You see, Joseph, when he spoke to his brothers and revealed his identity, he said, what you did, you meant for evil. He wasn't giving them a pass. But what did he do? He played it down and he played God up. You catch that? I'm going to say it again for those of you in Kathleen. He played it down and he played God up. I live in Kathleen, so I pick on us all the time, all right? You see, what we do is we do the reverse. We maximize the pain. We maximize the hurt. We maximize the bitterness. And oh, yeah, yeah, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, I'm saved. Joseph did the opposite, and I think that's what Paul's doing. He minimized and said, may it not be counted against them. I don't have time to spend time worrying and thinking and dredging up all that junk that was did, that, that was done to me. Because I think Paul understands that God is still in control. One of my favorite scriptures there in Philippians 1.12, where he's again writing from jail and says, the things that have been done to me have actually advanced the gospel. He's recognized that even his imprisonment in Philippians 1.12 has actually caused the guards, Caesar's guards, to hear the gospel. Paul was a kingdom-thinking man. He said, my life is expendable for the king's use. Whatever the king wants to do, he can do with my life. If it's for his purpose and cause to put me in a jail, so be it. Bring my books and bring my letters. I'm going to maximize the time. I'm going to use that time. I'm not going to spend my time exalting my hurt and my pain, but I'm going to minimize it. Lord, I don't count it against them. I don't have time to be dredging up all that stuff. You see, the Lord, the Lord knows exactly everything we face and what we go through. You may come to me or Jim or somebody for counsel, and depending on our experiences or whatever, we probably can relate with many things. But guess what? You can pray to one that knows you, that knows how you feel. In fact, Romans 8 says, even when we can't even pray how we feel, the Spirit takes the lead and prays for us. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I love the scripture, this great verse. You need to know it, memorize it. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16. This high priest, talking about Jesus, this high priest of ours understands what? Our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly with confidence to the throne of our gracious God. There, there, there we will receive His mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. You know what the problem is? We're not doing that. We're not going to our empathetic high priest. We're talking to everybody else and doing everything else instead of minimizing it. I heard one preacher say that when you go through a crisis, you play it down and pray it up. You play it down and pray it up. You see, I, I'm not there, all right? I'm not there. I'm trying to get there. But I'm trying to get to the place 
that things that come and happen in my life, even the disappointments, the hurts, the pains, that by God's grace I'm saying, God, I'm going to reverse that hurt. I'm going to reverse that pain. So what I'm lacking and maybe this person doing something or maybe a need not being met, Jesus, I'm going to take that emptiness and I'm going to put it back on you because you and you alone are the only one that can meet my need and bring the joy and happiness in my life. You see, when I'm down in a melancholy funk, that's a Greek word, by the way. You know really what it reveals? It's kind of like lack of faith. When I'm in loneliness and despair and God doesn't love me, God doesn't even care. You know really what I'm saying? God, you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. I thought that promotion, eh, you know. I thought that new car. I thought that house. I thought this, that, and the other. Whatever it is. And some of you who are in the retirement older season of life, sometimes folks in that stage of life have to be careful in fighting bitterness and anger at where you're at in life. Because you, we look back and we realize, you know, there's a lot of things that are just gone. I, can't, I, can't, I don't get a redo. I don't get a redo. And so I'm resentful as I see my glass half empty and I'm resentful for everybody else that caused it to be half empty when it seems like theirs is full. I'm thankful that Jesus knows all about us. And there's nothing we can go to Him that he has an experience and know in his humanness and that mystery of the incarnation that we'll spend time talking about this month. Utilize my time, Paul counsels. He minimizes, redirects that hurt. Thirdly, probably one of the most important factors is recognize God's presence. Recognize God's presence. Verse 16 and 17. At my first defense, no one came by. I'm just reading it for context. All deserted me. May it not be charged against them, okay? Verse 17. But. Say but. The buts of the Bible. That's a good sermon topic, right? But. The Lord stood by me. And the Lord strengthened me. You see, sometimes we live in verse 16. And we never get to verse 17. You know what I mean by that? Everybody's deserted me. Everybody's done me wrong. I want to be in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me. He didn't just stand with me. He strengthened me. I want to live in verse 17. I don't want to die in verse 16. Oh, you can be a Christian and die bitter and mad, cranky, resent. You, you know, you can have those carnal sins undealt with. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live my remaining years like that. I want to live in verse 17 where I'm giving God thanks 
that I even... What is, remember, where's Paul? He's in a... I mean, I don't even know how we can understand it. The most horrid of, of type of incarcerated places. But he says, in all of this, God was by my side. In your darkest hour, your darkest time, when you feel everybody's left, everybody's abandoned you, can you look back and say, you know, again, I love Joseph. I keep pulling Joseph out for help because he's so, he's so, he's the gift that keeps on giving every year, right? I think, we, you've heard me say this before, I think when Joseph said that to his brothers, I, I really think that was a revelation of God. I don't think when he was being betrayed and all those years and falsely accused and you name it, I don't think he was saying, whoa, hallelujah, I'm in God's will and God's working his kingdom out through I don't think he was saying that at all. I wasn't and you weren't either. But what does he do? He looks at his life and then that moment he can pull the trigger and wipe these guys out, all that bitterness. The Bible says that he wept with such a, a loud cry that they could hear him wailing throughout the, the court of there in Egypt. It wasn't like you guys hurt my feelings. This was a, this was a breaking. Because I don't know about Joseph, but I know, man, I would have dined on how I was going to get those brothers morning and night. Ways I was going to kill them, torture them for what they put me through. And here it is. Here's the moment. Here it is. And you know what he, maybe he could, he would say the words of Paul. But God was with me. You meant evil. But God was with me. Some of you need to wake up and hear that word. Because you need God in your life to strengthen you. And to give you the empowerment that God's with you. Even though when you're going through the darkest of darkest. Opposition. Betrayal. You name it. Are you going to die? Are you going to get slaughtered? Are you going to be bitter and mad for the rest of your life? Or are you going to say no? God was with me. He stood by me. He strengthened me. All praise be to God. Yeah, the circumstances aren't my choosing. But guess what? God strengthened me. And I'm going to go out living and glorifying God. Get those books. Get those parchments. I got stuff to study and write. I got this letter to Ephesians. I got to write that Philippians. I got some I got some things that I'm going to preach through those parchments that are going to go through all generations. Paul says, I'm not going out yet. And you know, one thing we can do in that loneliness of recognizing God's presence is it's a great time for some of us to have a renewed revelation of prayer. Prayer is inviting Jesus into that relationship. That I can talk to Christ. That he can talk to me. That I can experience him in his word. And fourthly. One of the ways that I think Paul gives us some help. Is to empathize with the needs of others. 
You see, when we're in that lonely state, we feel we're all alone. Nobody cares. Nobody's interested. We're just, you know what? You get very inward focused around you. Sickness does that, right? It's just normal. When you're sick, men, whether it's sniffles or something more serious, right? Men become the biggest babies. All right? No, when you're sick, and some of you deal with chronic issues, some of you are dealing with serious medical ongoing issues, and I don't mean to make light of that or play that down. I'm just saying it is really, really, I mean, it's very easy because your life is wrapped around this situation, morning, noon, and night. And it's very easy to get drawn into self. That's just very normal. That's why... This has to be a work of the Spirit that helps us get outward, get from inward focus to get outward. What do I mean? What did Paul say? But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that, say so that. So that. that. Why? That I might preach the message that it might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles, non-Jews might hear it. Paul's saying, look, God stood with me, protected me, so that this message of the gospel, Paul's heart and passion was the gospel of Christ. Paul said in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God into salvation. That was what motivated Paul. That's what he ate, drank, and slept, and he was not going to allow a little jail cell, a little opposition a little slander, to hinder him from doing what his passion was. What is your passion? What is your heart? I believe that one of the easiest ways for us to reverse that inward self-focus on our loneliness, despair, depression, whatever it is, is to figure out somebody that's got a need that you can touch in their life. That's why something as simple as prayer does wonders. When you begin to pray for people that are going through tougher situations than you, or similar situations, and you begin to pray, and you begin to focus and, and focus God's attention upon their life, and you're praying blessing, you're praying, and God says, hey, here's a need. Yes, God, bring angels down from heaven. No, 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 no. No, Tim, I don't want angels from heaven. I want you to write a little check out of your account. I want you to bless that person. Oh. And all of a sudden, you find out ways that you can bless somebody. You know, here's some easy ideas. Hook up with Arnie about the lighthouse ministry. You know what lighthouse is? It's not the Hilton. People are not there mostly, I think, because they'd rather be somewhere else. But it's a necessity. Thank God for that ministry. You get involved in missions. You get involved in women's choice. You get involved in something that you have to spend some of your own emotional, spiritual capital in blessing and helping somebody else. And you walk away. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit... (laughs) uses that to bring healing in your own life. Have you found that to be true? 
let me just say this final statement. When you go through the darkness of loneliness, you need to work, and yes, work, not work for salvation, but we're working out, working through the salvation. You need to stop building walls and start building some bridges. Stop building walls that keep you isolated in a little fortress. That's not what the New Testament church is all about. This idea that, you know, it's just me, myself, and I, and Jesus. The church is called together to be a community. To bear one another's burdens, to help one another. And there's a way that we take that pain. I read a little story, let me read it real quick. Some of you know who Corey Ten Boom is. The became famous the story of the hiding place. Corey Ten Boom lived in the Netherlands, and during the German uh, during the World War II, uh, she, she and her family were taken to the concentration camps because her family there in Amsterdam hid Jews in their house, and they were later caught, and they were taken themselves to the concentration camps. But early. Corey Ten Boom tells in one of her books, early in her life there was a period where she had real disappointment and heartache. And she was, uh, as a young girl before the concentration camp, she was madly in love with, with a man and she hoped to be married to him. And he broke off the relationship and married somebody else. She came back home and was devastated. And she walked into her father's room and her father said, Corey, you can do two things with blocked love. He called it blocked love. He said, number one, you can dam it up on the inside and never let it out, and it'll go rotten, it will spoil, and it will go stagnant, and you can just live with the stink of that bitterness. Or, and here's the counsel I think that Paul would agree to, when you have blocked love, you can rechannel it. You can rechannel it. You can take the pain. You can take the heartache. You can take the disappointment. Take the loneliness. Take whatever it is and say, God, by your grace and your strength, I'm going to take this deep, dark pain, this disappointment, this sadness, whatever it is, and by your Holy Spirit, I'm going to rechannel it that you can take this and be glorified through my life. You can rechannel this, and God, you can take where I hurt the most, you can cause that point, that pressure point of my disappointment, my pain, and God, you can use it to be rechanneled for kingdom work, and that you would be glorified. And then in the process of you being glorified, I experience some of the greatest healing because I'm allowing you to meet me at my place of greatest disappointment. As Paul said, that's a choice that I think we make when he said, Lord, don't count it towards them. That was a choice. We have a choice. We have a choice to make. As I said earlier, I think Jesus provides us always the ultimate example. And you know, this may be a surprise, and maybe you haven't thought about it, but Jesus in the incarnation, as I said, that we'll talk and celebrate this in December, Christmas season, that Jesus, God, a very God, coming in human flesh, 
There was a lot of experiences that Jesus experienced, we say, in his humanity. that very much identified with us. Do you remember the night when Jesus was going to be arrested and he took three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray? And what did he ask them to do? In this moment when, dare I say, that this moment of absolute alone, alone, he asked three friends, closest friends, will you pray with me? Will you pray? And what does he do when he goes off by himself and comes back? What are they doing? Sleeping. He said, can't you even pray for one hour? Jesus, our high priest, understood what it was to be at the brink of that loneliness. And even more so, something we can't fathom or understand, was when he was hanging on the cross. And before he breathed his last, the Bible says that he cried out and said, My Lord, my God, my God, why have you, what, forsaken me? Because Christ, bearing our sin, in that moment, bore the sin of all humanity and experienced the separation from God. Jesus knows how you feel. Jesus cares and knows all about us. And maybe there's that simple reminder. It's a reminder that some of you need this morning. I know that I need it to be reminded that It isn't just once trusting Him. It's a daily trust, day by day, walking in the Spirit, trusting in Him. And I'll leave you with this last psalm from Psalm 73, verse 25. I love, if you're depressed, read the psalms. David was very real as he prayed. And one of the psalms that he penned, 73, 25, he said, Whom have I in heaven but you? You talk about abandonment. David experienced all those raw emotions. He said, who do I have in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You see the tension in these periods of despair and loneliness and rejection and all those things that filter through our experience. Those are the points in which we have to say, am I looking for those things to meet my ultimate need, or are they just those pains, those sensitive spots, those empty places? Are they just reminders that nobody, nobody can meet my needs like Christ? And so, Jesus, I rechannel this hurt, this pain, this emptiness, this loneliness, this rejection. I channel it all back to you. And pray that every empty crevice in my life, you fill it. You fill it. Who do I have but you? Let's pray.